What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Meaning of Podcast. I am Ace. This is RB3. And this is the episode where we talk about all your favorite film directors. But this episode is going to be slightly different because we're going to be talking about Pixar movies. Mm. Everyone loves those Pixar movies. They make you cry. They make you feel all the emotions, pretty much every emotion there is. Oh, yeah. Uh, they even made a movie about that, a Pixar movie about that. Right. They made a Pixar movie about how Pixar movies make you feel, <laughs> essentially. That's, that's exactly true. Right. Uh, we're going to get into all those movies and talk about some of our favorites as well as some of your favorites because we're going to be reading your questions. However, before we do that, last week we talked about Zack Snyder, mm-hmm. also known as our Lord and Savior, Zack Snyder, <laughs> as RB3 likes to call him. Yeah, Zaddy. Um, Zaddy, yeah. And uh, we want to read some of your comments talking about what you guys thought of the episode. Uh, first comment on YouTube is from Tari. Terry, uh, really great discussion about Zack Snyder's filmography, inclu- including his flaws and strength from a, blo- a broad filmmaking perspective. I love S- uh, Snyder a lot, but some of his films aren't perfect. I like that the discussion touches on the idea that he's an auteur filmmaker and one of the most influential modern directors who created a filmmaking language and techniques that are still being used by all sorts of filmmakers after 10 years. Plus, he's one of the few filmmakers working today who specifically makes films in order to portray the unique quality of cinematic storytelling in a way that only a film can do. Wow, this guy's passionate. Yeah, he got a long... He got a long comment. Um, Yeah, man. uh, Snyder is definitely someone who, for some reason, gets a lot of negative attention, but he really is a talented guy. Yeah. I think think you even see it in uh, films like, even though Sucker Punch didn't necessarily work for me. It's something that was unique, something that was original, something fresh, did something new. And unlike most filmmakers, he's putting females in the forefront of his, uh, you know, of, a, of an action movie. He gets a little bit of criticism as far as the portrayal of female characters. I know that for sure. Right. I mean, there's that whole idea of male gaze, of how he kind of frames his women and like how and all that stuff. I know there's a whole controversy with Justice League, how the costumes in that were different than the costumes in Wonder Woman. So. That's a whole different conversation. But yeah, um, he's definitely a guy who has a very distinctive perspective. Let's read another comment. Um, Albert Rodriguez says, The reason Zack Snyder is so divisive is the movies he's making are, belo- are beloved properties to a lot of people. And when he tinkers with the core of their beloved characters, you're going to touch nerves. Look at, look at it this way. Im- imagine if it was announced tomorrow that Zack Snyder would be taking over the Star Wars franchise. People would lose their minds at the thought of slow-mo lightsaber battles. Or lose their minds in a good way <laughs> Yeah. as far as slow-mo lightsaber battles. But yeah, I get what he's saying as far as like people think that he doesn't know the core material that he's touching on. And, you know, that's something you could argue of Watchmen, as we talked about in the last episode with the violence. Man of Steel, his characterization of Superman and... Um, of course, Batman versus Superman with its adaptation of the Frank Miller, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe he doesn't, but maybe it's his interpretation of the material, too, that maybe in in one sense, I know somebody else argued this in the comments, like Watchmen, the move, Watchmen, the comic book was um, a, a, a satire or a comment on um, comic books and superhero figures, um, but withholding the violence emphasizes the anti-violent message of it whereas Snyder's movie um, shows the cartooniness and um, comic book movies and its comments on on, on that stuff so I guess I mean that, there's that, a way to look at it sure that's that's a way of looking at it I, I don't know I feel like he for the most part wants to accomplish I think he mainly goes for the visual nostalgic feel 
Like, I remember that frame from Watchmen, or I remember this part in 300 graphic novel, right? That mm-hmm. he wants to get that visually more than necessarily story beat wise, if you get what I'm saying. Right, he's building up for big visual moments. Exactly. And, and everything in between is kind of setting up for that. Exactly, where it's like, oh, remember when this happened in Batman in the Dark Knight Returns comic? Like, look, it's just happening right now. Like the scene where Superman gets hit by the nuke and he's all sucked and dry and right. in the sun. Like, that's out of the comic, right? Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's from uh, the Dark Knight Returns comic book. Mm-hmm. And he's he's mainly setting up for those visual nostalgic moments to make you feel something versus the story beat moments to make you feel something. And, you know, and to be fair, a lot of the great filmmakers do uh, have these moments built into their films sure. and are building up to that. Um, I mean, really, that's really what The Godfather is all about. If you take that movie, it really is a large collection of big moments, um, but everything in between is really intricate and well done. So that's why the moments feel natural, feel will, and maybe that's where Zack Snyder kind of falls uh, apart. But, I mean, that being said, I think it's cool that we have a filmmaker who is so expressive visually sure, um, and is so willing to put, like, the balls to the walls to, in terms of, like, slow-mo uh, you know, quick zooms, all that kind of stuff. I, you know, it's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, one more comment. Oliver Clutterbrook says, great topics, quality and depth conversation every week. Fast becoming my favorite show. I hope you guys continue this episode's topic next week by discussing your thoughts on Justice League. Do you think they managed to succeed and make a solid movie after so much turmoil throughout the production? Funny you mentioned that, Oliver, because Uh-oh. we are about to dive into Justice League. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys have seen it. If you haven't seen it, then maybe fast forward like 10 minutes. I'm sure it's not going to take more than that. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! But we definitely want to touch on Justice League a little bit just because we did do a Zack Snyder episode and that's kind of the whole point why we did it. And also because... It didn't make that much money over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, it made a lot of money. Let's it, be fair. Uh, sure, but and not, not for the, not, not for the it. property it was going for, yeah. not for the amount of money they spent. Um, before I get into it, because I, I've made my thoughts very well known, I want to hear your thoughts, like your 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 uncensored thoughts, not your three your tweet thoughts or your short thoughts, but your very like you know broad and specific thoughts. RB three. I thought I thought it was okay, man. I, I was like, it was all right. Like it wasn't. Like that bad, but it was really, it was really flawed. Really, uh, it's probably the worst superhero movie we've seen all year. Um, it's probably one of the worst superhero movies we've seen <laughs> in recent years, maybe. Um, but if, I mean, if you if you think if you say that though, you can't just say it was okay. But it's not. It's not, okay. Is like okay. Well, it's not Suicide Squad. Okay, is a six out of ten or a seven out of. 10. It's it's like it's like four or five ish. Then know that's what I mean? not good. But it's, you know, I could watch. I could watch it. It's not. It's not. It's not it's, unwatchable. It's unoffensively bad. That's okay. what. It, that's what it is. Like if Batman v Superman to me was bad, but it was bad because they're doing they're doing something. Um, ambitious and totally missed the ball on it. Sure. Um, this movie is bad, but it's like there's nothing that really like is that you know nothing that's really so inconsequential. Sure. That it's like it's what like everybody's pretty surface level in this movie. It's pretty one note, pretty one tone. Uh, not one tone. It's a lot of different tones. Um, I think that's the biggest problem with it. But it's pretty one note in terms of like it's not really saying anything. Sure. You know? Um, it's not adding anything new to the mythos or anything like that. So it's like, it's, it's whatever. Yeah, me. and I want to clarify right now, especially to people, because no matter what, even if we clarify, I, I it shouldn't even clarify, but I'm still going to do it just so we know and yeah. so people know. 
is that we actually did an entire episode on Zack Snyder, and yeah. our thoughts are there. If you guys want to see that, go back and watch it, because we like Zack Snyder. Yeah. Uh, we made that very clear, that we like Zack Snyder. And we love DC movies, and we love DC characters. I love DC characters. I've, I said in my tweet, before I, before I even touch on this movie, I want to clarify that I love these characters way more than the Marvel characters. You know, the only Marvel character that I love, like, probably as much as I love the DC characters is Spider-Man. But besides that, like, Iron Man, Thor, and Cole, they're great. I love them, but I grew up with DC characters. That being said, this movie's a mess. Yeah. This movie, uh, I was so disappointed. Because I went in really enthusiastic, and I came out so disappointed. So disappointed, because it, it really feels like Zack Snyder made a movie, and... Tragic situations happen. They brought in Joss Whedon. They wanted to lighten up the film. And it almost felt like they... I mean, Stashgate, right? The Superman thing with Stashgate. They, the reason why that happened was because of the reshoots. Dude, that's like in almost every scene that he's in. That means that the reshoots were pretty freaking extensive. And that they really did take pretty much the entire movie. Joss Whedon kind of just stamped his vision onto this movie... And it really didn't work. I I much rather have seen a full Zack Snyder movie, one that it was clearly all his vision, all his tone, all his characterizations that he made previously, and all the other DC movies. Because guess what? He made the DC universe with his wife uh, Deborah Snyder. They're the ones who created this. They're the ones who casted Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. So I rather see his full vision. And this movie did not bring me that. It brought me a mess of characters, moments that tried to be funny so hard, and none of the funny moments hit me. Barry Allen's funny moments didn't hit me. Aquaman's funny moments didn't hit me. Like, it really tried so hard to be funny and different, and it was a poor imitation of Avengers. Well, you know, I think it's funny. You could kind of split this movie into three different categories, like, logistically-wise, right? It's like the Zack Snyder moments... The clearly Zack Snyder moments that were reshot by Whedon and just the Whedon moments, period. You know what I mean? Um, and they're kind of sprinkled out like a lot throughout the film. Um, and it's really noticeable when you can tell which is which, um, especially if you're like trained and knowing. If you are familiar with Zack Snyder's work and you're familiar with Josh's work, you could tell where that kind of stuff was happening. Uh, to me, it was most notable the, the opening slow motion title sequence. That's very Zack Snydery, very. And that's actually and a moment I like. That's one of my favorite moments in the movie. Yeah. Um, but then you also have moments that are like where, you know, Batman is confronting Aquaman, which was originally shot by Snyder, mm -hmm. um, then got reshot completely. Um, and now, and, and and in that you can see like it's kind of the Zack Snyder angles, uh, you know, and all that stuff. Like it was already set, but just the weed and the lightness and tone and fluffiness to it, um, to kind of lighten up the tone because I'm sure. And we even see, like, in the earlier trailers, it was going for a little bit of a darker thing. Like, sure. you know, the whole, to me, like, when I was watching the first trailer, the, when I came out in 2016 Comic-Con for Justice League, I thought the relationship between uh, a Bruce Wayne and an Arthur Curry is something that's, like, two completely dark, brooding guys trying to convince each other to, you know, join this alliance. And I thought that was really really fascinating. And then there's the clear, clear Joss Whedon moments that are just, like, him, them hanging around and like a, a carrier or or a room just like talking and, and just bantering bantering yeah exactly um you know like the and, whole and that didn't work and it, there's the the subplots with one, and i think 
Joss Whedon should not should stay the fuck away from Wonder Woman. Yeah. Stay away from That's Wonder Woman. That's what I keep Woman. hearing. Stop it. If you, yeah. I don't know if you read the original script that um, Whedon had wrote for Wonder Woman. It's horrible. Because he makes Steve Trevor the main character. Yeah. All he's fascinated in is the romance aspect of it, which is, and he's completely dehuman. He's completely like de like immortalizing Wonder Woman. He sure. just he wants to make it like a, a goofy romance. And we even see that here in Justice League with the whole romance angle they're going for with Batman and with Batman, yeah. It just yeah, stop to be that. honest, to me it's like uh, I, that's, the, that's the worst part to me. I'm right so now. disappointed in WB because I feel like WB. It's not so much like everyone can come at me and be like, "Oh, but the Zack Snyder tra- tragedy," and I know it was a tragedy. But my issue is not that. My issue is the fact that they were trying to imitate Marvel instead of doing their own thing. They were so concerned with the Batman v Superman reviews and how dark it was and how it didn't make as much money as they wanted and how a lot of people didn't like the movie. Well, guess what? That movie made way more than Justice League did, which was a poor imitation of trying to trying to make DC movies like Marvel movies. Guess what? That doesn't work. And that wasn't the issue with DC movies to begin with. It was story issues. It wasn't tone issues. It wasn't color issues. Those were just petty fans who complained about Superman's not colorful and they're supposed to be more colorful. If you you add jokes and add color, it'll be great movie. No, it won't. It'll still be a bad movie if you don't make a good movie to begin with and if you don't have a clear vision. And I feel like a lot of people who are are saying this is is Zack Snyder's vision. I'm sorry, but you guys are dreaming. This is not Zack Snyder wanted. He even disassociated himself with the movie. So that that tells you what Zack Snyder thinks of this movie. Well, there's that whole report that came out a little bit ago that they just said like the first cut of the movie was just unwatchable. Um, so they're just literally taking chunks out of it that Snyder shot. We see even in the early trailers of like Cyborg flying into the sky and getting able to use his powers. Um, you know, we we also see another shot in the trailer early on where in the trailers early on where um, Flash breaks the glass with his finger. Mm-hmm. That's not in the movie. Um, and again, these all seem like moments that are part of the character setup for each character. Sure. Um, and because we don't have that setup, everybody is just like so one note. The only character we really spend time with setup wise is Aquaman. Um, and that's clear because he has the next movie coming up. So sure. they need to push that um, as much as as much as you can. But I mean, you know, it's, it's weird having this whole dark versus it's so i don't get the whole point of lightening up something fucking the dark knight and the dark knight rises both made a billion dollars dark knight dark dark is in the title are you kidding me <laughs> like this is people who don't care about but they think they think that the it's such this it's this misconception and i know that uh, here i go again making statements but it's a misconception that critics like marvel movies more and they like them more because they're funny that's not correct. Critics like Marvel movies more because they're better done. I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, at work, who obviously I work with cinephiles because I work in production, and he was talking to me about Thor Ragnarok, and he was like, guess what, man? I didn't like Thor Ragnarok because I do. And I was like, sure, dude, that's, that's your opinion. That's totally cool. And he was like, yeah, but you know, I'm going to watch Justice League, and I'm optimistic and all that. And I'm like, that's fine, dude, but... To be honest, man, after say what you will about comedy and Marvel. If it doesn't work for you, cool, that's totally fine. But guess what? I rewatched Civil War and I rewatched a few other Marvel films. Not even comedy, dude. 
Watch that movie with the sound off and watch Justice League with the sound off. I'm talking basic filmmaking techniques. <laughs> I'm talking editing. I'm talking com- composition. I'm talking contrast. Yeah. I'm talking color grading. I'm talking freaking music transitions. I'm talking music beats. I'm talking insert shots. These are basic filmmaking techniques. And if you compare Thor Ragnarok or any basic Marvel movie or Civil War to what they did in Justice League, it's night and day. This movie looked like it was a student film. Like, the editing was awful. Suicide Squad's editing was awful. Right, well, like, see, Batman, Batman v Superman, that was the main problem for me. It wasn't like... It, it, the same the, thing the, with the, Batman v Superman. The story, the story was, was a problem, but the biggest problem was just that it looked like it was edited... Like as a, like like you said, a student film. It was just randomly cut to black. Like, this is editing, man. It's such a basic thing, and um, that's my thing. My thing is like this: fine if if you do, if the comedy doesn't hit for you with Marvel movies, but at least make a a, a freaking competent movie with Justice. League. It wasn't competent. It felt like DC suits made this movie, okay. just like in and and Suicide Squad, just like in Batman versus Suicide. It, it it just feels like anytime they're inverting a lot more money, they 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 seem to take a bigger shit on the movie well to be fair i think this is a better movie construction wise than bvs and um suicide squad and and i, think I don't like, know that's the that's debatable the, to me bvs <laughs> suicide squad sure but bvs uh, the thing everyone keeps asking me what do you like better justice league or bvs that's a tough question for me because oh, bvs really? is like there's some there's i feel like there's more good in bvs than in justice league but i feel like bvs has the biggest flaw in any film right. superhero film ever which is called jesse eisenberg's lux luther uh, right, so right. it's it's kind of it's the the balance thing right because i do like some things in in, in justice league i liked i liked superman i thought Sashgate was awful i thought that cgi thing was terrible but his character i liked him i sure i thought he was cool i, I like superman water woman's fine she does what she needs to do and there's a few scenes in there that i thought were kind of cool um but overall the movie together as a story didn't work and i feel like this is wb trying so hard to imitate rather than to be original and to create something that can challenge marvel by making it different not by making it a poor imitation of it well see that's where i think like for like you like like you're saying like there's more there's a lot of good in bvs um to me bvs is more ideas that i that i love that they're trying to go for um, just the execution wasn't there. This, the execution was kind of there, but kind of not. Um, really? Just because you know there was like four directors, really. Like, sure. honestly. There was like six producers and four directors, like all on the set the same day, kind of trying to put this together, which is it's fine. They're, they're trying to, you know, they, they had to fix the movie somehow. Yeah. Um, but it was just like... Big question now, too, is 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 the box office weekend, right? Yeah. right? Well, uh, first, I just want to adjust one thing, though. Sure. I think w- the biggest problem of this movie, though, and I think this is a problem that no other critic is going to talk about, is the music. The music, to me, the Danny Elfman score, this is something that um, I think killed the movie for me. Every single beat along the way, except for the opening. But the opening song wasn't his score. Um, but every everything, it was like he was getting super wacky when 
the Wonder Woman opening scene when they were like breaking out, like you know, like when she was like coming stopping in, the stopping the bank terrorist. robbery or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the music was just super wack. I like how they incorporated her theme, but the music was just wacky. They had to, of course, bring back the Batman animated series and the and the Tim Burton scores, and the same thing with John Williams with Superman. To me, you don't do that. That's the one thing you don't do. You not you shouldn't remind audiences of a better movie when they're watching something like Justice League. You know what I mean? And it's so disrespectful to me as somebody who kind of I'm not a musician, but I like listening to film music and I you know try and try and help out and, and do that sometimes. Um, but just to me, it's like don't if you Hans Zimmer created an iconic score with. Uh, the Dark Knight, the, the Dark Knight. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he created an iconic score of Man, Man of Steel. Steel. Absolutely. Um, but where were those at during the movie? You know, and it's like you're completely dehumanizing what we've become familiar with so far in the series, especially with the Superman stuff. Like you, you like, you know, I know you enjoyed the Superman stuff. I didn't because it just felt like a total 180. Sure. Like they, I, I agree with that. Yeah, sure. it was like they, you know, they took your, they took our suggestion, make the All Star Superman version of Superman, but the mythology that was building up to it up to that point makes no sense to where, you know, we should have seen an arc. We should have seen the journey. Sure. And I know they cut out the whole subplot of the evil Superman. You know, they cut it down to yeah. like one scene, but um, that's something they could have explored. But to me, that's the biggest, that's, that's the biggest problem. Sure. Is the, the music is, I want to finish with yeah. this um, right now. Uh, 96, 97 million is where it's at. Um, it's probably going to be 97 actuals probably once we get the official results. Um, but right now it's at 96 mil, which is exactly what Guardians of the Galaxy 1 made. A property that no one knows about. And Justice League, which is the greatest superhero group ever in the history of ever. So to say that's disappointing is is putting it lightly. I mean, it didn't make as much as Wonder Woman. It didn't make not nearly as much as... Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad Suicide, No, Suicide Squad way, made way, way I know, more. 133. This made... But but that's not even it didn't even touch Suicide Squad. Yeah. It didn't even touch BBS. I'm talking Wonder Woman. I'm talking Guardians of the Galaxy One. Like that's ninety six million to me. Reboot. I'm telling you right now. If if Warner Brothers is inverting and putting so much effort and money into this movie, and they wanted at least a hundred twenty million, they wanted that. I know I know that from from just reading up on what Warner Brothers executives wanted. And it makes 96 or 97, right? Because we don't have the actuals, but 96 is what we have now. That is not just disappointing. That is take a step back, take like some retreat and start firing executives and start rebranding, restructuring the DC universe. Keep what you like and erase everything else. And, I, and That's I, my personal take on it. And I'd rather they do that because, again, I'm extremely passionate about DC characters and DC comics and I want them to do them justice. And I want them to do a good version of these movies and a, and a, and a version that works. And, and everyone can blame Snyder and blame this and blame that and blame the CGI. I 100% blame Warner Brothers because they, they don't trust their directors to take a franchise where it needs to go. That's my last thought on it, and I'll let your last right. thought. Right. I mean, you know, it, the the ninety six million. That's disappointing, especially knowing that the budget reported three hundred million. Some it's probably more than that, but that's just what they're you know. That's let, That's that's it's what they're letting the trays in, and that's not even including insane. the marketing, which is probably one hundred fifty worldwide market. Uh, I don't know what the international numbers are. Is is that's to be honest, that's basically bombing. It's well, almost it, bombing. Well, here's the thing. 
Um, you know, most movies make about 30% of their money uh, of their total gross opening weekend. You know, this movie, in order to break even, it would need to make at least $100 million worldwide. I don't know what the international numbers are. I think it already, I, I, think they're, I think they're kicking butt internationally. Well, that's oh, okay. my personal take. I think they are. I, I know the numbers are out there, but yeah, I'm, I'm not. Sure. I'm not sure about the international numbers, but the domestic numbers. Look, if if it takes thirty, you know, if you're making thirty percent of your money opening weekend, that's generous for a movie like Justice League with a low cinema score and a low, um, with a low cinema score and a low uh, like critic critic rating. Um, it's awful. You make thirty percent. You know, you make the rest of your seventy percent with that. You're making maybe one hundred eighty-five million international numbers. That's incredible. Hundred and thirty international. So that's including domestic. That's including domestic. Um. No, I think that's either way. It's, it's no, not that, good. That's it's just good. that's just international. Well, either international, you could pick up a lot of money, but there's less. They get the studios get less money international than they do domestic. Not a lot of people know that. Um, domestic, you get a lot more for, uh, and that's opening in all the markets too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So no, it's not. It's not looking good. But I do think if this movie has some sort of crossover success, maybe through I don't know video games, or maybe they start incorporating the CW stuff. I don't know what they're gonna do to kind of course correct from this point. But uh, I mean, I really do hope these movies do good i'm i want them to do good yeah um you know and i like warner brothers movies they make good movies i don't i don't know what they're doing with this property though well you know it's it's tough too man you know there's there's the whole thing of you know they tried to they tried early on to let Zack snyder do what he does and man of still ended up not doing great in batman v superman it's kind of like a middle ground between the studio and, and, and snyder um and it did it did well but it didn't do Great critically or 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 you know fans wise for, with the fans, um, so then they see something like Suicide Squad, which is completely studio mis- you know handled and, and all that stuff recut all that all that jazz do really well. They're gonna do the same thing with Justice League, and this is what we get. Um, you know, it's there just has to be a compromise. I mean, we talk about Marvel Studios um, a few weeks ago. And we're gonna talk about Pixar today, um, but the real strength in those companies is collaboration. You know, the directors and the producers are all working on the same same team, same page. We all there's a, a general understanding. And if a Marvel movie's not working, they're willing to push back the release date. They're willing to try and fix it. Um and they're willing to try and, you know, get get it straightened out. Whereas something like Justice League, they're shooting that before they before Batman v Superman even came out. So in in, in shooting a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, they already had the plan laid out, but after the mediocre performance of BVS, they're just like, we have to scrap, it's, it's so funny. scrap you, everything you, and, and put it, you know. I agree, yeah, but, but you say mediocre performance. Yeah. 166 mil, 96 mil. you imagine that? That's oh, a, yeah. That's, that's I, I, know I'm, I know you're talking about critically, but either way, regardless of the fact that BVS didn't do as well critically as they wanted it to do, 166 mil, I, was, I, I remember that number when it came out, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good, because... Because a lot of people were expecting like 180, 180, 185 or something like that. But but my thing was... It was Batman and Superman. You put those two in the title. Put those together. They wanted almost like a $200 million movie. It didn't do that. And that's why they were like, well, maybe it was because the critics and blah, blah. It's so ironic. Isn't it ironic that, that time is always something that's going to change your perspective? Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Now, 96 mil. Mm-hmm. you imagine that? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Justice League. I don't know. That to me is crazy. But... Um, yeah, that's just wild to me. I, I want these movies to do well. And I, and I want to clarify that these are our opinions on the movie. These aren't necessarily have to be yours. 
a lot of people love this movie. A lot of people we know and work with love this movie. Ellis loved the movie. Joel really enjoyed the movie. Uh, Christian liked the movie. Like, Ellis loved it, though, which is crazy to me. But but a lot of people really, really like this movie, and a lot of DC fans like the movie. Just because I'm a DC fan who didn't like the movie doesn't mean I'm the opinion that, you know, is, is the say-all, be-all, and I'm saying you guys suck. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is my perspective, and I'm saying no matter what you want to say, I saw a tweet earlier today that said, you know, retweet if you disagree with the critics and you love uh, Justice League. Retweet, retweet now so that so that Warner Brothers knows that you love it. And I and I I wanted to answer the tweet and and say this: it doesn't matter. Numbers talk more than critics. And you could say whatever you want about this movie and how much you loved it. It doesn't matter because this money is based off this movie is based off money. Not critics. So as much as you say, the critics, the critics, the critics, it doesn't matter. The, 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 the studio is looking at the numbers, the box office numbers. And if they don't see a number that they feel like the, the, the fans of these movies went regardless of the critics, then you're not, no matter how many retweets you get, it's, it's, so, it's, it's all in vain because studios and movies are always based off money, 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 money. Yeah. And this movie didn't make enough money to warrant a continuation of this franchise, in my opinion. Well, so regardless of how good this movie is, if you think this movie was awesome and it deserves more, didn't make that much money. Same with Blade Runner 2049. Well, that's, that's I, I thought that movie was up. awesome. Yeah, Blade Runner what... 2049 was a freaking awesome movie. Guess what? It didn't make money. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I, know, I, know, I know I was just going to bring up the Blade Runner example because I know a lot of people were talking about, is Denis Villeneuve still going to do Dune or should he do 007 um, because of Blade Runner flopping? And if, if, it's like, you know, a lot of the problems with that movie and a lot of problems with Justice League comes down to the marketing, right? Um, the trailers for those movies don't really tell you anything about them, <laughs> especially with Justice League where we get like nine trailers and still have no idea what we're about to see when we go into the movie. You yeah. know? And especially when you have the initial trailers looking completely different than the final wave of trailers. Um, and then also the whole Rotten Tomatoes thing kind of, you know, affected uh, Absolutely that as well. Um, and, and it's weird because, you know, I thought, for me, I was defending Rotten Tomatoes for what they're doing. Um, I thought it's their, it's their brand, their company, they should do whatever they want. Um, if they want to, wait until uh, their show to put out the score, put out the score. The problem with me was is the fact that they didn't actually release, they had to show out for a day and then uh, didn't release the score for like another 24 hours. Now that's problematic to me because if somebody wants to go Thursday night and they want to look at the reviews or look at the you know aggregate, um, they had to, they, they just kind of, kind of had to go in blindly. And that to me is cheating the fans. And that sure. to me is you know, I don't know if WB... Warner Brothers interference. But hey, listen. Hey, WB. Hey, hey. I'm applying for the internship. Hey, listen. I ain't talking shit. All right? I'm, I'm you guy. I am. I'm hey. the one doing it. I love, I love you guys. Great movies. You guys, you know, Argo. I, I, I think they do great movies too, man. I thought Blade Dark Runner 2049 was awesome. I actually thought King Arthur was kind of cool. But, but my thing is like, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you could say. Anything you want about opinion and critics and this and that. And it's your fault. It's that fault. At the end of the day, they're looking at the box office numbers and it didn't make as much money. Let us know what you guys thought in the comments down below. Please be peaceful, civil, respectful. This is all opinion-based and it's all 
uh, movies, guys. This isn't freaking the end of the world, so let's chill out a little bit. And we're going to move on, unless you want to say anything else. Nah. To Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we're going to move on to Pixar movies because Pixar is one of the most successful studios. This is like almost MCU successful. Not quite, I guess, because MCU makes more money. But for an animated studio, Pixar Pixar has been kicking butt ever since their first movie, which was obviously was Toy Story. But it's crazy how Pixar is an animated studio who I was thinking about this earlier that they're 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 like they're able to connect not only with children audiences but adult audiences in a way that is almost unheard of in animation right i mean i guess anime is the is the only other type yeah. of animation miyazaki J- japanese yeah thing. japanese anime is the only type of other anime that i can animation i can think of that can hit adult audiences quite like pixar but other than that, unless it's nostalgia, adult audiences don't really go out to see animated movies by themselves or like with a group of other adults. They usually go with the, with the child, right? But Pixar, there's now like movements and there's now like me who can hang out with their like 25, 26, 27 year old friends and be like, hey guys, with a group of like eight dudes and be like, you guys ready to go see that new Pixar movie? You know right, what I'm saying? Like right. that doesn't really happen. And Pixar is able to find that kind of success with both types of audiences. I, I want to hear your thoughts on Pixar because you have a little bit more like background on them and stuff. And right. No, I mean, to me, Pixar is one of my favorite um, studi- studios ever. Like, not studios, I guess, production companies. Yeah, yeah production, um, studio. Like, yeah. they're more a production company now. Right, studio. right. And They're, well, they're, they're under Disney. They're under the Disney umbrella. Right. They got bought by Disney in 2006. Before that, they're pretty much like a, almost like independent, but with backing from different places. Um, you know, they, they, of course, their origins are, you know, they started off doing, uh, you know, short animated shorts, but they also created this thing called the Pixar machine, which was, uh, a big revolution in visual effects because it was the machine that allowed like CGI computer effects to be printed on actual film reel. Mm-hmm. So then we see big, um, big productions like Jurassic Park using this technology. T two, a lot of the technology was innovated, um, you know, by early on with uh, like John Lasseter, um, Ed Ed Munchen. I'm not exactly sure I pronounce uh, the main CEO's last name, um, and Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was one of the first founding um, members of Pixar, That's who right. uh, who really backed them and and financed them through years. And I'm talking years of debt, um, almost to the brink of shutting down at a lot of points. Um, I'm familiar with this information because I read the the book that um, that that Ed wrote, uh, Creativity Inc., which is all about the business aspects of Pixar and stuff like that. And their story is so inspirational because what their main focus has always been as a company is collaboration, mm. teamwork. Um, they master that like no other. Um, when they have, you know, they have story groups, um, you know, they kind of, you know, of course you have the animators doing their thing, but the, and the story groups and the writers and the producers and the directors um, working on their own thing, the technology side of it. But it's all a team. It's all one big, like, powwow working together to, uh, you know, achieve what they need to achieve. And, no, to me, uh, it's it's clear in films like Toy Story, um, A Bug's Life that you know come in, and of course a little later we see Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo. Um, these are all films that you know in their development, kind of were like the early 
bare bones of Pixar in terms of um, the development teams and what they had like resources wise. Um, but once you start to see the budgets pick up and once you start to see them introduce new names and figures and, and filmmakers um, like Brad Bird and um, you know Lee Unkrich, who was an animator who became an editor and eventually a director, um, once they started um, cultivating their own talent within the company and within the brand, the creativity just expanded and exploded to another level to me. So Yeah, and it's one of those things. They're, they were one of the first innovators as far as 3D animation. Well, yeah, right? yeah Toy Story it, it, was the first fully Toy animated. Toy Story is uh, the first fully 3D animated movie, and it's one of those... They're, they're the ones who showed you the power of 3D animation and the ability... That they because obviously as as an animated fan like I am I keep up with anime and keep up with animation and all that it, it's a very dis, it's so distinctive that you almost kind of want to brush it away first initially but the fact that Sto- Toy Story succeeded so much 3D animation became like you know one and the same with Pixar and became like easy to the eyes of people because they got with the story that's kind of what made it right I mean right. what do you think of the 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 way they're able to incorporate 3D style animation. Right. Well, the technology with Toy Story uh, is is just a part of it. But like you said, it really comes down to the hearts of the characters to the story. And, you know, originally they wanted, with Toy Story, they wanted it to be a bunch of branded characters. Um, but, you know, a lot of the major corporations didn't want um, their products connected with a specific personality. So they had to develop their own personalities with these characters like Woody, Buzz, um, you know, Bo Peep. Um, the Rex, the dinosaur, all of these different um, fun and interesting new ways. And the reason why they're toys is because it's something that can that kids are using now and adults have used in the past. So there's always going to be a connection transgenerationally um, with toys. Um, so that's really why you know Toy Story succeeds. But on the technology front, when this movie came out and you read a lot of the initial reviews for it, people were mind blown by the 3D animation. Um, you list, you know, you read uh, Roger Ebert's review, and 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 he and he did the television review of with uh, Caesar, um, um, and they I had remember those uh, when they used to do that back in the day. Yeah, yeah. the thumbs up, uh-huh. yeah. So they had they had, and I went back and watched the one for Toy Story, and they're like, just look at the technology, look how the way they move, like because that's unseen at the time. I mean, we're yeah. we're used to it now, but sure. um, back in 1995, uh, Jurassic Park was the biggest technological jump we had overcome and now seeing a full movie with all of these different weird characters and where they have at least some form of texture some form of depth but again they had to mine the story to the right place sure and that's always the heart of what they what they've been able to do what, what uh, pixar is able to do right because they won academy awards in the past before toy story um with you know the shorts that they did sure. like uh i forget the name of the the other toy short that they did, but they did a, a lot of shorts and they were, they're winning Oscars. Sure. Um, but even while they're winning Oscars, they were still in incredible amount of debt. Um, so like, um, and Steve Jobs would go into meetings and kind of trying to help bail them out. But Steve Jobs was also just an incredible businessman in general. So he would organize a lot of deals for them and, and, and help them stay, stay up and whatnot. Um, uh, but it's just fascinating how, uh, you know, their their most their most central concern has always been the way their movies are going to connect to people. Exactly. That that's my follow up point to this is what what makes Pixar what makes Pixar stand out. Obviously, is their characters, their ability to connect, um, their animation, their stories. That is essentially what makes it. But what I find so interesting is that through all that, essentially, what connects them the most in this world 
that we live in where Hollywood is making reboots and remakes and restructures and re-this and re-that or adapting different franchises or different characters from books or comic books, Pixar pretty much for the most part makes all original stories, mm-hmm. original characters, original original everything. Originality is something that is a, is a key term in pretty much all their movies as far as like but like you said, making making uh, Buzz and making Woody actual recognizable properties and franchises based off good storytelling, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what makes a timeless character. That's what makes people want to be invested into, you know, buying products for for different types of toys or or stuff. That's what made Star Wars so good. Is because at the end of the day as cool as something is, isn't enough. You have to make a story that revolves around those characters that make it well. And that's why for me, I want, I want, to, I want to hear your thoughts a little bit on the originality of, of, uh, of Pixar because pretty much they make all these original movies, which is great because even though they're animated, it allows people to invest money into an actual original story instead of another restructure or rebranding of another movie. And the fact that they're able to take these original stories and make them like so... Um, required viewing you know what i'm saying like right. you got to see the new pixar movie what is it about i don't know it's about some girl who like f- loses her dad it's like well, we got to see it no matter what like you don't care what it's about you just want to see it because you know it's going to be good like right. regardless of it whereas like if i said you got to see the new pixar movie what it's about well, it's about batman's dad like you know what i'm saying like taking a property mm-hmm. that people know instead of doing that pixar takes original stories and characters you don't know and then just says let us tell you this story and let us convince you that this original story can be just as effective as a nostalgic story. Right, and they, the, the whole reasoning behind their originality is because they want to <clears throat> tell, do something new, do something people haven't seen. Um, because once people get tired of the same conventions over and over again, um, the genre is just going to go stale. So, of course, they're going to innovate new ways to incorporate different. And they're really out-of-the-box ideas. I mean, Ratatouille is a rat chef, you know. Um, but what makes these wacky and crazy ideas succeed is that from the very beginning, they have to establish what the movie is about. What are they trying to say? Um, you know, what is the message or what is the theme that they're going for? Um, and that's what makes Pixar so brilliant is that that's the clear objective throughout all the movies. And what makes it even more brilliant is that they never outright say it. Um, That's their main rule at Pixar is that their whole fundamentals of filmmaking is um, not, is not two plus two equals four. It's just asking what's two plus two. And then the audience has to um, dissect and kind of evaluate on their own terms what, um, these individual what 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 these individual movies are saying and what they're trying to say and how um, they're expressing that. Um, to me, the biggest example of that is Finding Nemo. Uh, that's a movie that's about you know that is essentially about fish, but what it really is a bigger tell is about a relationship between father and son, and it's also a, a large tell about disability as well. But I mean, we'll get into that when we start discussing each movie, but. Again, they have the heart of the story in from the very beginning. And no matter how many director shifts or no matter how many different writers uh, they go for, and that's their whole point of their story group. They have a big story group, like kind of like a writer's room, I'm assuming. But the, it's not like the writer's room where we hear in Hollywood, they're just getting this writer and this writer. No, it's a team. These are people who work together all the time. And they have a, a language and a way of communicating with each other and a way of dialogue and discussion and group thinking um, that really helps develop each story and 
that's kind of one of the beauties of animation too is that you could have something storyboarded and you know storyboarding and um, like pre-animation all that stuff you could develop the look and the feel of the film and as you and you know with Pixar they lay it all out and see if it's working just in that format before they even start animation sure um, and make sure it's perfect on the script level before they they go out of it so that's yeah, really... it's incredible. It's incredible what they do. Let's start diving into some of their movies. Obviously, yeah. it, it all kicks off with Toy Story, which I remember clearly. I, I don't think you were even born, right? No, I wasn't. Uh, I remember clearly watching Toy Story for the first time. It might have been one of my first memories as far as like movie-wise mm. goes because I was very young when I saw this movie. I mean, it came out in 1995, which means I was four. Um, it's crazy. This movie... This movie, like I said, I remember when it was coming out, and I remember buying it on VHS. I remember re-watching it a million times. I was obsessed with this movie as a kid, right, because I was the target audience. And I remember being obsessed with Buzz Lightyear and having the Buzz Lightyear toy. My brother had the Woody toy. And just the joy that this movie brought to me on a very, like, just on, on the audience-type perspective and on an audience level and the creativity that this movie brought and the freaking the little aliens the pizza planet the, everything mm-hmm. that stays with you with this movie um the evil bully kid named Sid i think his name was Sid Sid yeah uh Andy with uh freaking every time that Woody yelled out Andy or Buzz Lightyear realizing that he's uh that he's a toy and realizing that he's just you know, right. one of a lot of, of different toys. The soldiers and, and they're funny or hilarious. The soldiers are funny. Yeah. Him, uh, Buzz realizing that he's, you know, trying to find himself kind of thing. Right. Like what, right. what happens when you find out that you're just an object to be played with, right? That's right. kind of jarring. And they actually go through that mental decay of Buzz Lightyear when he's going crazy. Right. And he's like, Buzz, snap out of it, Buzz. And Buzz is going insane. But this, this, this movie became like a freaking like classic instant classic when it came out and not just based on the animation but based on the story and the characters and the type of innovation that they were incorporating and obviously tom hanks and freaking tim allen tim allen you're not going to get any better than that as far as uh chemistry chemistry and as far as like voice performances and as far as getting adults to kind of tune into the movie because guess what in 1995 people love tom hanks and tom and tim allen obviously they probably still love him now but i'm saying like especially in that time period that's a good way to get a dad or a mom in the movie theater is with those uh voice casting what do you what do you think of this movie overall because this movie obviously like i said has a super deep connection to me personally because i remember watching this when i was a kid well yeah i mean i wasn't alive when this came no. out but i i know for a fact that i had like toy story and toy story 2 on vhs when i was a kid and i was watching those non-stop and those are films that i still resonate with today and then we're gonna talk about actually watching for me my first uh toy story movie in theaters toy story 3 i guess we're gonna talk about that a little later or we can even bring it toy up story now three, dang, like that. that's that was a heartbreaking but see that's why there these are movies about um these are movies about childhood these are movies about um, having those um, icons and um, having those images and the the toys, you know, like those are yours. You know what I mean? Like that's that's something you will always remember um, as a kid, and that's why we have such classic like iconography in that with the little aliens, with the pizza planet. Because as a kid, those stand out. Like a pizza restaurant is gonna stand out to you. Your little toy soldiers are gonna stand out. Your 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 Woody and your Buzz. And it's all about. As for on a human level, it's about uh, you know what happens when the new sheriff is in town. You know when there's a new um, 
you know, new person coming into somebody's life and how that affects how that affects somebody. Like how's is, how's is Woody's relationship with Andy affected because of Buzz? Um, and you know, that's very I mean, that's a deep theme. That's an adult that's an adult concept. Um, and that's something that most kids films wouldn't address, but that that's that's the main point here. And how that leads to jealousy and envy and, you know, you how that impacts their their general relationship and their eventual camaraderie because they're both realizing they're they're the same and um you know that's from you know the woody woody's angle is his internal conflict throughout is the possibility of losing andy um to another toy um with buzz it's a different internal conflict in terms of like realizing his identity um discovering who he is and why you know and why being exposed you know to who he is being a toy yeah, that 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 affects them as well. So like it's very deep, and they have these clashing internal conflicts that ultimately come to a head in a really beautiful way. So I think that's why that movie succeeds so well. Yeah, yeah it's it's absolutely incredible how many themes they're able to hit inside this movie, and it's crazy because I remember some moments in the movie where I was like, "Yo, that's kind of it's kind of hardcore." Mm-hmm. Like obviously, Sid blowing up toys is like, oh yeah, that's one thing, and also the fact that. Sid gets like freaking scarred for life when those toys come to life and basically threaten him. Right, right, <laughs> it's right. like, we're going to kill you, bro. It's right. like Chucky. You're like, damn, <laughs> Chucky is real and he's going to kill me. Because <laughs> right, right, right. you know that whole scene where he finds out that the toys come to life and mm-hmm. then he's trying to tell like, mom, they came to life and that kind of whole thing. Right. Um, so those are obviously all themes that are incredible. And this kind of jump started Pixar's uh, journey into success, mega success, right. and which followed up with the Bugs Life. And it's funny, a Bugs Life. So many people kind of like brush off this movie. This movie hit me so hard. Really, this movie's one of my favorites. I remember if I saw Toy Story dozens of times, I saw Bugs Lives even more than that. Really? I, I would rewatch this movie so many times. It made me laugh so hard. I remember characters in the movie. I remember. I remember Hopper. I remember uh, the freaking so many themes in the movie and so many characters and so many funny moments. And I was obsessed with this movie, RB3, to a point that just even like thinking about it now, I'm like remembering all this nostalgic memory that I have with the movie because I thought it was hysterical. I thought it was super fun and actually has one of my favorite lines in almost any movie that I can think of, which is the freaking light in the fly. Mm-hmm. And it's just this tiny little moment, but it makes me laugh so hard when the fly's flying towards the light. And he's like, don't fly towards the light. Don't look in the light. And he's like, but I can't help it. No, Roger, don't do it now. And he just blows up. Yeah. And I was just like, that's so freaking funny <laughs> because it's that whole theme of like what goes inside the mind of a bug, right? Like yeah, why right. do bugs fly into lights? Cause they're dumb or something. Yeah. And it's cause it hypnotizes them in the movie. But right. it's just that little moment. That's just, it's, so funny to me it just the movie it just makes me laugh super hard i remember having the toys i had the roly-poly toys that Mm -hmm. used to like roll up and come back and i remember having the hopper toy this movie to me was no joke one of my i remember having so many i have loved this movie rb3 and i don't know what you think about it because a lot of people don't care for it i want to hear your thoughts because i haven't haven't seen it in a long time so i i can't really say this damn it rb3 this this is the one i'm moving on (laughs) i mean i i i do remember liking this it's the seven it's seven samurai with bugs yeah i think that's really funny and uh, i think they uh that's again they were trying to go for something new something different they didn't want to do i mean toy story 2 is their next film um but you know before that, they weren't looking. They weren't interested in doing sequels. Um, so for a Bug's Life, that was something that hit. That was you know something original, something that was going to hit. 
Um, and it, they, it has some production problems behind the scenes, but it ultimately came out really uh, almost kind of ahead of its time in terms of um, what, what they're addressing in, in that movie. Um, and it, you know, unfortunately it came out around the same time of, of, as, as Ants, uh, the DreamWorks, you know, <laughs> yep. um, Bugs movie. Um, but the DreamWorks one was like a Woody Allen kind of animated film, which is weird. This one's more very much Pixar-y. Very uh, kid-friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it came out It came out in a weird time, I guess. Sure. And I think that affected it a lot. So It's crazy how, like, this this one, too, is, like, obviously, Toy Story started it all with the, with the products and the toys. But I remember seeing and buying and having physically in my hand every three so many toys based off this movie having the the mm. the hopper toy having the different the roly polies the other types of bugs in this movie i just remember having those toys um let's quickly go into toy story 2 which i remember again watching toy story 2 i freaking love toy story 2 just i mean i remember as a kid loving it so much i remember the loving the freaking star wars reference in the movie with the whole i am your father thing right, with right, zord i think right. it's zord or I'm, i'll probably get corrected yeah, zord, but i'm pretty yeah. sure it's zord 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 right. zord and he's just like running yeah. away and i'm just like dude that guy goes hard i love zord and zord like became one of my favorites just because he's related somehow i thought he was related to darth vader or something i was like he's like darth vader and i love darth vader that must mean i love zord like as a kid that's my thought process and um I remember Zord. I remember uh, the freaking like Barbie scene in, in, in that in that mm-hmm. movie, and me being like, "Yeah, Barbie scene," where they're, they're like driving in the mall with the Barbies. Mm-hmm. I remember the different buzzes in the movie. Uh, it, it just I remember freaking what's the girl's name? Jesse, Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. And yeah. the horse. What was the horse's name? I can't remember the name of the horse. Dang but... it, man! Bullseye. I think it was Bullseye. I think yeah. Bullseye. And uh, I remember being obsessed with that. And and this movie had the super like heartfelt emotional connection Mm -hmm. that toy story gave us but this one amplified it even more for me as far as like jesse Mm -hmm. losing his her Her, um, yeah her like her her owner owner, i guess is what it is but that was beautiful that was so i was i was crying i think i remember crying in that scene because i was like this is hardcore man this is hardcore and then i remember uh, uh, Woody turning on the TV and seeing like mm-hmm. his past and stuff, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's a song in this movie. It might be "You Got a Friend in Me," but there was another song in this movie that I remember being so heartfelt. And it was I remember seeing Woody see himself on a TV screen. And yeah, that being an emotional moment in the movie as well. This movie went hard for me, man. Yeah, this, this, is, this is movie a, went hard for me. This is a movie that's all about addressing the past, sure, uh, a past that a lot of people run away from. Yeah, um, but how coming back to something, coming back to your past, coming back to your legacy, your history, and whatnot, um, how impactful that is to people. Um, and that is definitely what they hit home with, you know, like you said, Jesse, with Woody, um, with Buzz, that whole Zora sequence. Funny enough, this movie was originally supposed to be straight to, to video. Um, wow. And, you know, they, uh, and but Disney gave them the money to fully, you know, fully do it. And their whole thing was, if we're going to do a sequel, we're not going to do, like, the cheesy Disney straight-to-home video shits that they, they're used to. Sure. You know, um, that's that's what they were, you know, they're aiming to. And it, it really wasn't, it really wasn't supposed to be, like, the big attention of the, the studio. It wasn't supposed to be that. It was supposed to be a little side project. But what, what Lasseter came up with and all the creatives that came up with on a script level and storyboard level, um, they showed that to Disney. They were like, this is this is too good to not sure. put into a full movie. Sure. Um, so they started doing that, putting that together. Um, there's a funny story of, like, how they had lost all of the data on the, the film, um, so they had, so like one, there's only, except for one 
like engineer or animator, one of the two, um, had had like a backup on her computer that she had carried around. It she had personally carried around in the car because she was. I think she had a baby during that time, so she had to take her computer home to work from there. Uh, so, I'm like, long story short, she had the only computer that had the backup files for this entire movie on it, and this was like really close to the release date so they had to they barely saved it that way so that's crazy yeah, man. that's crazy um, where does this one rank for you as far as toy story does it rank at the bottom it's it because it ranks near the bottom well for everyone no else. this 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 has some really iconic moments right like yeah. there are some really iconic moments in this uh this one um i don't know if it was this one or the first one but that whole thing where like buzz tries to fly and then like he's on the stairwell and i'm pretty sure it's this one but he's like on the stair, on like the top of the stairwell, and he's like, and the music swells up, and he like puts out his things, and then like he he like jumps off and tries to fly, but then um, might have been the first one. I, I might think be, I know what you're talking about. But if, if it's, I it, it might be the first one or second one, but for some reason I always thought it was, it was in the second one. But to me, but that, yeah, this movie probably ranking the bottom only because of process elimination. Sure, right? It's like not because on quality. Right, it's because it's like what the what happens when the first movie is a ten, this, the third movie is a ten, and this one's like a nine point five. And it also know, introduced right? the the concept of making like making a, a toy a villain as well, whereas it, the first one didn't. Really oh happen. right, right, right. The prospector. Right. right. Shout out to the prospector, yeah. um, who's a hater. Yeah. Hashtag no more haters. Hashtag no more haters. Do you um, want to jump into Toy Story three now while we, we're? Uh, that's a great. No, let's 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 wait. I kind of want to wait because I think Toy Story three brought a different field as far as like mm. um, movies. I know there's Monsters Inc. and Finding Nemo and The Incredibles that follow these all three incredibly iconic Pixar movies. Yeah. Which of those three stands out the most to you? Well, of course, The Incredibles is a superhero. We just spent the whole. First 15, 20 minutes of the show talking about Justice League. So this is, of course, a superhero movie. A lot of people say it's the best Fantastic Four movie. Right. Uh, of, course, of course it is because this is a great um, film that has a superhero family that has a real connection with. Uh, and each each character's powers is a reflection of their internal struggle. You know, Dash is a kid who who wants to be fast, who wants to um, who wants to be ahead and be, you know, sharp thing you know this is the kid he's a he's a boy and he wants to become a man he wants to grow up and that's his whole thing with being fast like he just you know he's trying to outrun the world and you know all that stuff and with violet being invisible because she feels invisible to people um you know elastigirl because she's trying to she's reaching to try and keep her family together you know she's dang rb3 you know, you're so deep man yeah, that, i mean that's, that really is what it's i mean, <laughs> I, know, you know, I, know. I mean like no i mean but rb3 made all this up guys he's the one who created this <laughs> he's like no i didn't do it man it was yeah. the filmmakers no 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 but i mean like but i mean that's just I the mean, way which, i read no it, that's absolutely it true same thing with mr incredible is some man with all his strength but nothing else to to, sure. to own up for um so it, it's, it's a really really uh great film but that's not to go without mentioning Finding Nemo and Monsters, Inc. Finding Nemo was the first Pixar movie I saw in theaters. Wow. Um, okay. I remember vividly watching that movie. Got it. Um, I even remember watching it, like, me, my mom took me and my cousins in Long Beach, uh, you know, back when I was a kid. And it was, like, right by the Aquarium of the Pacific. Oh, cool. Um, so, like, we didn't go to the aquarium. But, like, sure. after watching that movie, I was, I was always like, yeah, I didn't go to the aquarium. You know, because... Just so many beautiful characters in that uh, film, but I think Finding Nemo is is a very is that the one that stands out the most to you as far as besides uh, Monsters Inc. and besides uh, well, uh, the Incredibles. They 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 all stand out. They all stand gotcha. out to me. Yeah, they're, they're I'm all... making you pick RB three. No, you know, for for me for me if if I had to go with a favorite, 
it'll probably be The Incredibles. But I think out of those three, what the best one is, is Finding Nemo. Okay. In terms of quality-wise. Got you. Um, in terms of, like, having a heartfelt story that's, like, super... It's, it's a take on the hero's journey, you know, um, you know, uh, swimming throughout the ocean. And the concurrent storylines with Nemo and, and his dad, Marlin, and all that stuff. Um, and... You know, I just I enjoy that film a lot, and The Incredibles as well. But and, and Monsters, and Monsters Inc. Inc. became Great a classic. Yeah. Dude. Monsters Inc. is one of those movies that automatically became a classic when as soon as it came out. Deep themes about friendship and and loyalty and um, the idea of scares, and I think Monsters Inc. plays a lot into a later movie we're going to talk about too. Sure, a let's let's it. jump into these uh, categories. I'm categorizing just so we can fill the time. Right. What, what do you um, well, out of those three movies though? What do you say is something that stands out to you? Um, the one that's Oh, that's a great point. You know what? The one that stands out to me the most, just yeah. because again, it's close. It's closer to when I'm a kid. Um, Monsters Inc. is one that stands out to me the mm. most because I remember that being such a big movie as far as like people really connected to it yeah. as much as they Mike connected to. Yeah, Mike and Sully. The fact that it's all about scary monsters. The fact that it's all about appearance. Like it really connected to audiences in a way that was just as much as a Toy Story and as a Bug's Life and as pretty much every other film they've done to that point. So I remember that one being the connection. Um, and then after that, we got Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, Up. And then obviously, we'll leave it there. But right. Cars was, I mean, Cars is, is funny because Cars is one that, honestly, if, if I had to pick one that I really don't have like kind of any connection to, uh well besides brave too but we won't we haven't gotten to brave yet it's cars cars is probably the one that i never at, at this point in my life 2006 i'm watching casino royale really? <laughs> i'm uh, not yeah. watching cars we'll see <laughs> like you know what i'm saying like 2006 yeah. i'm like i'm I'm older i'm older now <laughs> right. i'm in high school now or at least getting to high school and uh i'm i'm more interested in like darker movies and i'm right. more interested in vampire movies and that's kind of the my my face is is me this is like vampire andres <laughs> as far as like 2006 goes so that's probably why cars doesn't really have a connection to me because that's more like like i don't want to see that that's for kids so i never saw cars in theaters cars look i came out 2006 for me was nine years old so <laughs> cars was made for just my age man I'm telling you, nine years old. That's I am, crazy. I am dude. telling you though. You're so young. This this is a movie that the way we see Frozen now, sure, or the way look, little girls connected to Frozen back then, sure. Boys my age, Cars was it? Like that was that was the quintessential like movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they had the the great like Route sixty six song in there, and yeah. like, they're promoting the hell out of it on Disney Channel. It was just old like. Just cars which is great but i mean it's not the greatest of their movies right sure but i think it does have something that's really powerful and potent to say about coming back home and coming back to the people um you know connecting back with the your culture and your people um and giving something uh giving like a midwest kind of feeling mm. or or uh, a middle america kind of feeling that's a good um, point in a, in a pixar in, yeah. a, in an animated movie general because we never see that and um, and even in even every other Pixar movie is set in like the suburbs or or and or a big city, but this is something that that's was, such a good point. Wow, that's that's something that I I didn't think of. But, but Ratatouille is my most underrated. Ratatouille, um, I remember watching that in theaters. I remember watching um, Wally as well. But uh, Ratatouille, man, that that one was a uh, it was a lot of fun. It's the idea. I, I, the idea is so fun, right? Because if you're like a food fan or if you're like 
especially if you're like a European food fan, which is which is this movie is based off like in Paris and stuff. Mm-hmm. The idea of like a kitchen, right? And the idea of like cooking and the idea of like health code violations and cleanliness is so, so important to a kitchen and to a restaurant and, and, and to the idea of everything being, when, when you have a meal being so beautiful and, and perfect and, and, and tasteful and wonderful, the idea that this is not just tastes really good, but it comes from a very clean place. And then the antithesis of that idea is a rat. Right, it's, right. It's, it's the most disgusting, filthy, most uh, atrocious animal that most people could think of, uh, besides like a roach, right? Right. They're not going to make rochatouille anytime <laughs> soon. But uh, but that's the idea, right? The rat yeah. is so disgusting and, and so anti what the beauty and pristine and cleanliness of a beautifully done meal presents. Right. So taking those two and smashing it together is a genius idea. Right. And it's, you know, like I talk about cars being something that's about connecting to your culture um, and connecting with your identity, Ratatouille is a film about breaking that, Mm. um, breaking the conventions that you're held to. Um, We see that incredible moment where he's like, arguing with the other rats in the, in the sewer and they're like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you trying to be a chef? Da, da, da. And it's like, that's what I love. That's his passion. And the fact that that's put into the forefront here is really nice and, and sweet. And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of what inspires somebody like me who, you know, when I was a kid, like my parents really wanted me to do like engineering and like math and science and all that kind of shit. So, but then like, you know, I wanted to do movies. So it was like, this is something that, you know, is, is, is kind of helps how it helped push me into being able to stand up and say that, you know, this is what I want to do. And, and this is what, this is how I got to do it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be beholden to the social standards that we're, we're set upon. And I think Ratatouille is a great film at, at communicating that. And I think just as a film, like filmmaking wise, it's very like kind of avant-garde, kind of going for like the French wave or the French stylistic, you know, perspective. Sure. Um, and that makes it feel totally different. Um, I think that's what makes Pixar movies all, all great. You know, they all have a different, distinct feel. Like I said, the cars have the country feel. The Incredibles um, have that 1950s, 1960s mm-hmm. um, sci-fi feel to it. Um, and, you know, of course, Ratatouille has that very French, yeah. French kind of... Uh, nice, nice touch to it, and it's a, and the music's great too. Oh, it's incredible, and I think this is probably the most adult Pixar movie you're gonna see in terms of like, um, in terms of touching on 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 some potent themes. In terms, you know, like we we have that whole opening thing where like the lady was trying to shoot the rat through the through her thing, and then he was like climbing, and then uh, you know, it's just like I don't know. To me, that's pretty funny, but it's also kind of adultish. Sure. And that moment where he's like crawling through different vents, and he sees like people arguing through the little, like this beautiful little side moments like that that's are just great. like very, very. You're right. Yeah. Um, um, Wally is another one that I remember watching theaters, and Wally, Wally is interesting because it starts out obviously it's like a sci-fi kind of mm-hmm. cautionary tale, but it starts out as like a silent film. Yes. It's pretty much a silent film mm-hmm. where Wally doesn't really communicate. He just kind of grunts and goes, rrr, rrr, rrr. so that's pretty much the essence of Wally. And and that's kind of, I think that's kind of what the trailer sold us on. It didn't really sell us on the fat people being in space. Kind of right. Thing. And um, I think that's really where the movie falls apart for me. 
to me, the first half of Wally, my favorite Pixar movie ever. As far as like the silent film stuff. Yeah, like yeah, the the Roach, the all, all the stuff Feeling on like Earth. The boxes. Yeah, 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 and even when they go up into space with Eve and that whole thing and the environmental sure. stuff there, but so re- when really, he, when the humans come in, it's so bad. Yeah, to me, I, I don't think it's bad. I just think it does fall apart a little bit. I don't think it's as bad as as some people say and how you say. But you're right; it does feel a little bit like a different movie and kind of like where did this come from? Fat people, Slurpees, what? What's going on? Yeah. Um. And then obviously it's Xenon on the 21st girl century. Shout out to Disney Channel Original Movies. <laughs> Xenon. Watch oh. that movie. That's where Wally got their stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not where we're... I do remember Xenon. I remember Xenon. Yes. Remember with the, the flying station out of space yeah. because Earth is... is yeah. <laughs> It's like the off-world colonies kind of thing. Right. That's that's the first thing I thought of, even though there's like a bunch of different interpretations of that. Right. But I thought of Xenon. I was like, yeah, that's like the Xenon shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's my thoughts and how I go into that. Yeah. But obviously, um, Up is probably what people call when they refer to one of their most emotional moments as far as a Pixar film goes. Because Up is one where we start to get into... Uh, how, what I like to call emotional manipulation, RB3. Oh, really? Is, okay. is Pixar deliberately attacking your emotions and pulling you to, to feel something? Or are they doing it organically? Because Up is the one that kind of does it in a way that you're like, wait a minute, you're yeah. making me feel stuff. And you're not... You're doing it in a very aggressive way. Do right. you feel that way as far as up? Yeah and no. I think that... Because that's the, what a lot of people have as far as criticisms for Pixar films. That they are purposely, emotionally manipulating you. Instead of just telling a cohesive story and having natural emotional connection. Well, I, th- I think up the beauty of up is how organic you're able to connect to the opening... Sure. scene um because we all relate to that we all have somebody who we've loved and passed away even if it's not through elderly or if it's not like you know romantic love it's you know family love you know we all have somebody who you know we we we, we miss and adore and have those memories with so sure um of course that's rooted in, in a lot of reality for a lot of people um but i mean that's that's part of the genius of what they do i mean they they, they tell these stories that touch home and hit so many and that's really you have so much depth just from that opening sequence with that character you spell you feel like you spent his entire your entire life with this guy do you, do um, you feel like that opening scene that first five minutes of up is a more effective story than the rest of the movie i i do i don't i actually don't like up outside of the opening uh, shots fired Brrah! yeah i mean it's not a bad movie but it's just like the whole thing with doug the dog and the squirrel and the squirrels Squirrel. yeah and the, yeah. the whole the 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 peacock i don't i never really liked it that much yeah, outside it of doesn't that. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with you it doesn't every time people say up they are like they're thinking of the first five minutes of the movies and not the entire movie when they're just like up's amazing you mean the first five minutes are amazing or you mean the whole movie is amazing yeah. obviously a lot of people might disagree but i do feel like they're, the first five minutes are so effective to the point that the rest of the movie just becomes kind of fluff. Yeah, and I, I do. I think there's a point to you know Up and Wally. Um, those are two movies that Wally came out pre-Oscar, like changing the Best Picture nominees. Um, but I remember when Wally came out, that was a big, big deal of not getting a Best Picture. The same same thing with The Dark Knight and Wally were the two that were like these are mainstream films that could get Best Picture nominations, just didn't. Um, and then Up was the first film after that, and Up was even like the opening film at, at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, Up was a hyped film, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, opening film at Cannes, and it did. And they and again, that was the first Pixar movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, and the second animated movie of all time to get, to get nominated. Um, so it's worth, well, it's a beautiful movie. That's yeah, for sure. It is. And, 
you know, technically... and Technically, it's beautiful. And I think emotionally, they do have a lot of cool stuff. I think this is something that maybe connects more to maybe not kids or adults as much. Maybe more like maybe elderly people. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not really sure. But again, it's, it's a fun, it's a fine movie to me. And um, it really is another callback. Again, they, they switch genres. They switch tones all the time. It's a callback to like those 1970s like adventure movies. Sure. You know what I mean? With the, with the evil bad guy and the fur coats and the... And the animals and the out in the jungle and the wilderness, all that stuff. So, and then following that, uh, Toy Story three, which we obviously mentioned before, Toy Story three to me personally started like this new kind of renaissance period as far as like all these other movies. But Toy Story three, when it came out, was so hyped, (laughs) incredibly hyped, Um, and obviously it, it it deals well with regarding the first two movies, right? Because this one came out in 2010 which is miles away from Toy Story 2, which I believe came out in 2000... No, in 1999, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so the fact that it's like 11 years after the, the second one and like uh, it's even longer than the first one, it, it connects back to the people who initially watched the first movie as kids mm-hmm. and now watching it as like teenagers or adults. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how that has that kind of connection towards it because that's how i felt watching it it's like i remember these when i was kids i had the the freaking buzz lightyear toy and then i have that connection towards it in the movie as well right so it's a double form of emotional connection right and they they um this is really the first animated like trilogy or or franchise to address a a jump in age between the years Mm. um a lot of times a lot of anime films didn't do that um particularly something like shrek where they're all the same age or um, other other anime franchises. I mean, when when the sequels come out, they're all the same age, or if it's not like a prequel or something. Um, but you know, with with Toy Story three um, having that time to develop again, that's really the mature concept of it. And they they wouldn't have came up with the idea. You know, th- their whole idea of this movie was just reminiscing on the Toy Story days, like as a company, as a group, and how they're trying to rebuild that that kind of energy, that kind of feel, and how does that feel? Has that interpreted? Of course, this happened. Um, they started, you know, this movie was in development for a while, but, you know, Disney brought Pixar out right in like 2006. Sure. Um, and, you know, and Disney buying Pixar, there's a level of expectation you have to, you know, creating these characters and having, um, these people, uh, you know, there, you know, having, having the same kind of energy feel that they, that was in the original, their original film work and their original work and how Brie recognizing that is important. And that's what the theme of, Toy Story 3 is Andy looking at his toys and the toys reminiscing on their past and how is that going to affect their future. And how Um, he's moving on for like growing on. Yeah, growing on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, moving past your your past, you know. and Moving past um, your childhood. Moving past your childhood and um, taking that legacy and Letting, li, li, um, putting it to somebody else. Um, some will even say it's like a meta commentary towards like John Lasseter kind of handing off Pixar to, to Disney and him working with Disney now with their with their new animated wave that they've had. Again, this came out the same year as Tangled. Um, Frozen came out a little later, and they had a whole new renaissance at Disney, and that's really responsible for with John Lasseter, you know. Absolutely. He, and um, but you know, it, it could be kind of seen a, on a metal level in that way, but on a on a film level, it's just an incredible movie on its own, right? Sure. You get a great villain with uh, with the the bear. Um, I forget exactly. Is it Lazo? Right, Lazo. I forget. Lazo. Yeah, but um, and it's, it's it really it's you know 
we talked about the first film having a human villain and the second film having a toy villain. This one's kind of both, right? Um, like the main kind of uh, struggle is going to a preschool and, <laughs> you know, having to reason with all these like irresponsible kids just like knocking around toys and all that stuff. Sure. Uh, but then even on a, on a, on a, and you know, and that's the way you get kids in too, is having still having kids figures because you don't want Andy still playing with these kid with these toys. Yeah. Um, but and but also on another level with, um, you know, with 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 Lonzo or Lazo, I keep saying Lonzo, Lazo, um, the bear just like messing with them and sure. trying to trying to trying to you know, manipulate them. them. Yeah, and manipulate stuff. them and all that. It's a, it's absolutely an incredible movie for Great sure. Film. And then after this, we get the downfall of pixar it's not really a downfall but it's one of those like we get a turn in pixar movies that start to feel less like the oscar winning type pixar films that we're used to or the emotional type pixar films that we're used to right. and i know i shots fired a bunch of people are gonna get mad. toy story though was nominated for best picture toy story no 3. toy story 3 i'm not I'm, yeah, yeah i'm not talking about that when i'm talking about um what followed it which was cars, oh, 2, cars 2 brave yeah. and monsters university um Three films that I kind of don't really have a connection to. Remember, I mentioned it earlier, but I don't yeah. really have a connection to these movies. Oops, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> RB3, yeah. take it away. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have a connection to Cars and Brave at all, really. Um, Monsters, Inc. I Monsters, mean, Monsters University, um, I do have a connection to. You like that movie? That came out around the time I was starting to think about college and heading right. off to college. So it, it has a connection on that front, yeah. And that's another example of them taking something from... Uh, from from the earlier filmography and adapting it to their new adult audience, sure, um, which I think is great. But yeah, this this real this literally came out during a time that I was thinking about college a lot. The other two, I mean, a lot of people argue that these are these are I mean, Toy Story three, Cars two, Brave, and Monsters Inc. are them trying to follow like the Disney mode, sure. Um, you know, them being as far as making sequels and stuff. making sequels, and you know, uh, Brave is obviously directly trying to be a, a Disney princess. Sure. Um, even to the extent of borrowing a lot of the Disney tropes that we we've come to uh, come familiar with, um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't like Brave. I don't like Cars Two. Monsters U. I care a lot about. Sure. Um, and I think it does have some really funny moments in that movie. Sure. Um, but the next one we're going to talk about is Inside Out, of course. And Inside Out to me is one of those like that I, that really put Pixar back on track as far as like everyone was raving about this movie. Go see Inside Out. It's amazing. It's this. It's that. It's going to make you this. So I did. I went to see this movie by myself um, when it came out in theaters. And it, it was great. It, it's a truly a really well told, really well done story. Um, I can't lie. There's points in the movie where I really wanted to just get rid of sadness. She was pissing me off. <sighs> um, but then eventually we come back and we realize that oh, sadness plays plays a part, and she's important in our emotions, right? right? Where you can't just get rid of it or just shut her up. You have to let her take the wheel for a little bit, and then go back to joy and then go back to other kind of emotions and then to know when to express those type of emotions and the fact that it's dealing with like a little girl going through that transitional period in her life is a very well done type of movie and you know uh, to me inside out is as close to a perfect movie as you can get um this was a film that resonated with me emotionally um really is a nice film because it addresses uh emotional disorder in a way that is is um, kid-friendly, appropriate, while also 
being really deep philosophically, you know what I mean? Um, addressing some of the some of our, our fears or some of the, the things uh, that we have in our mind, like forgetting our imaginary friends or, um, you know, completely disregarding. What was his name? Uh, Bobo? Yeah. Um, Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill, I think not not Bilbo, um, something like that. Bil- yeah, Bilbo, right? Bilbo. Might have been the the dancing clown or whatever, whatever. Is I don't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I, sorry, Bilbo, the dancing. Bingo, Bingo, Bingo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I'm not even sure. You know, whatever. I'm whatever. pretty sure yeah. you mean Pennywise. They, they, right? They'll correct us. It's but, Pennywise. Uh, but the the elephant, and that is such a. You know, the reason why they had to hide that from the marketing is because they didn't want kids to see this really great, cute, iconic character and just go out and buy all the toys and see them die halfway through the movie. That would have been you know? messed up. Yeah, that yeah. That would have messed up. Yeah, they had to. They had to. But it, when, when you watch the movie, that's the beauty of it. When you watch the movie, it's totally unexpected, just like it, it is presented to the characters in the film. Sure. But then you get so connected to, to that so immediately and so um, vigorously right from the start that when he does end up like sacrificing himself to save joy and to save um, sadness, it's like it's one of the most heartbreaking moments you'll ever see in an sure. animated film. Sure. Um, and to me, they, there there are three three moments in this movie that bring me when I first saw it in theaters. Three moments that brought me to tears. It was that that scene where where he sacrifices himself. Um, the moment where joy and sadness have to come to like the catharsis of like. Mixing emotions, yeah, yeah, is really the way. And then she's about to board that that, that train, and then she comes back home, and she just falls in her mother's arms, like in her mother and father's arms, and like you know, like after you know running away, sure. I was like, Fuck, you know that. Yeah. And even even some of the opening stuff of like her moving from San Francisco to like um, to or moving from her old town to a big town like San Francisco sure. is something that resonates with uh, a lot of people who move around a lot, and that's yeah. something. That was great. And I just think there, there's so much great in this movie. You know, I know there's that whole, and I kind of want to ask you your thoughts on this. There's that whole notion of, you know, I, I, this film has been shown to a lot of kids um, who are dealing with emotional problems and dealing with, you know, psychological issues and stuff like that. Sure. Um, to kind of help them cope with that. But there's a whole argument that this movie shouldn't really be um, representative of that because it's oversimplifying the idea of emotions and emotions are a lot more complex um, than just having five happy, colorful characters um, that are controlling things on it. Yeah, but I think they dive into that towards the end of the movie as well. They and talk I, I agree about with the that. complexity yeah. of emotions and how it can evolve as you grow age. Because um, you're not really going to show this movie to to kids to teach them the over complex essence of emotions. You're just going to be like, hey, you know, sometimes you're angry and sad, but you got to know when to express it the correct and right way and the correct and right time, right? So I think it's fine. I think kids can love this movie as well and, and can enjoy it for what it is. Um, let's quickly uh, jump into the last three, which is current times. Uh, Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3. Three movies that kind of um, didn't really do what they... I mean, Finding Dory made a lot of money, and it was, it was, I, I thought it was pretty good. I love Finding um, Dory. Um, other two I didn't see, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I there didn't you go, see man. The dinosaur. Shots fired. I didn't that see. That was our podcast. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, these three movies, um, money-wise, Finding Dory stands out to me the most. Um, it made a lot of money. It made a, a pretty big splash as far as everything else right. goes. It's the highest grossing Pixar movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Dory. And it, I thought it was like actually good. What do you think of this? Because I thought it was a good sequel. Well, I think it's, it's good because it, it further addresses the idea of mental illness and um, addresses it in a really a really powerful and potent way. Um, you know, I think that that is real. I mean, 
a lot of people, you know, disagree with the way they they address those issues, but I think that's really powerful and impactful um, to the story they're trying to tell. Um, that being said, uh, you know, of course it has its problems. Of course, it turns into like a Looney Tunes kind of deal at the end with the uh, with the, them driving cars and whatnot. But um, I think it's really great, and having the idea of like a prequel slash sequel. Um, to me, worked really efficiently, so I loved it for that. Good deal. Um, let's jump into some of your guys' quest, uh, questions. Uh, Alexis Lopez says, What Pixar movie, not necessarily your favorite, did you watch the most as a kid? The only VHS I had was A Bug's Life, but Wally is my favorite. Um, yes, I would. Ooh, it's a toss up between Toy Story 2 and A Bug's Life, mm. but I would probably say A Bug's Life is a movie that I watched the most. Like, that, I'm telling you, man, that movie. It came out like right at the perfect time where I was like a little kid, mm-hmm. and 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 I loved that movie. I loved the toys. I loved the the characters, the jokes. That's probably the movie I saw the most as a kid. Right, probably for me, it'd be actually Monsters Inc. Yeah, because <laughs> that movie I watched a shit ton when I was a kid, um, and even like now I probably watch. I think now I probably watch Mon- uh, Inside Out the most, just because to me that's just such a great yeah, movie. and it's the most relevant yeah. one as far for me as well. Um, Evan DeGraff says, Ratatouille is the most underrated Pixar film. What do you guys think of that thought? Completely agree. Completely you think it's the most agree. underrated? Absolutely, yeah. It's, like I said, it's the most adult. It's the most, yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Um, uh, Pablo says, Toy Story Trilogy, in my opinion, is the best ever. That's how b- good Pixar can be. What say you on the impact it has had on animation and cinema? Uh, it's had an incredible impact on us. I think we wouldn't ha- without Toy Story, we wouldn't see franchises like How to Train Your Dragon, uh, like Shrek, we wouldn't see. I mean, any any CGI animated film really owes it to Toy Story. Yeah. Um, and in terms, and, and there's some great CGI anim- animated films that are not Pixar now. Right. And that right. We can all right. enjoy. Um, and DreamWorks came came uh, out of the lab of of you know something that Pixar started. Um, a lot of a lot of companies. So I I, I do agree. And and just as uh, as a franchise wise. Um, you know, it, it, it definitely influenced. We back back before the Toy Story days, we didn't see animated sequels get theatrical releases. Sure, period. Yeah, it just wasn't a thing. Um, but because of Toy Story two being so successful, we see now Shrek franchises, uh, Despicable Me franchises, all these different animated franchises that are enormous. Speaking yeah. of franchises, pa, uh, Payam Sharafi says Toy Story is the greatest trilogy of all time. The Incredibles is the greatest superhero film of all time. With that said, Ratatouille might be my favorite. Monsters and Nemo deserve a mention too. Uh, yeah, Toy Story is a great, it's a great trilogy because there's yeah. not really a weak film in that trilogy. Absolutely not. And you know, in terms of consistency, you could argue that, you know, the Godfather trilogy falls apart at the end. The Dark Knight trilogy, whatever you think. I love the Dark Knight Rises, but a lot of people don't. Um, but the Toy Story is very consistent with with a lot of stuff. Uh, Paul Wolf says, being a special ed- uh, education teacher, Finding Nemo shows us that you are capable of doing anything, even if you have a disability. Prove them wrong every day and just keep swimming. Mm. It's my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite for that reason, and we called my son that as my wife and kid was pregnant with him. Love you, Dad. Uh, yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. Hey, what do you think of the whole disability aspect? Of no, that? that's 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 br- that's beautiful. Um, I I I hadn't really thought of the film too much in that respect, but that's of course that's a big part of it um you know uh, disability is a, is a something that impacts a lot of kids and it's not something that's represented very often in cinema especially in animated films um so for me finding nemo did that great and i think finding nemo, finding dory did that um great as well um 
so yeah, I, I love I love that they're able to address that. Uh, last question we'll get, or last comment we'll get, is Chester Rizmendi, who says the uh, the Incredibles is easily my favorite Pixar flick, best Fantastic Four movie ever made. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I mean, we haven't really had a good Fantastic Four movie. No, we haven't. This I is mean, this is the best we're kind of gonna get. <laughs> we, we had a really bad one with Josh Trank. We had two other pretty bad ones with well, Jessica Alba. Yeah. No, listen, no, listen. no. They those were bad. Came, they, those came out. They when were I, bad. Those came out. Those came out when I was a kid. Come you on. Know what I mean, I saw those two in theaters. No, no. I, I think they're not that bad. They were pretty bad. They're uh, pretty bad <laughs> for what they're trying to go for. Much better than the Josh Trank ones. You got to give well, me that. You well, that's because the Josh Trank one is barely a movie. <laughs> it's barely a movie. Yeah. But uh, let's finish up uh, with our. The Incredibles pro- though is is one that. Yeah. Is, Absolutely is wonderful. Uh, favorite Pixar movie. Ready, set, go. As one movie, as one single movie, I it I'd, I'd, I'd probably go Inside Out. Um, and if favorite, favorite, favorite. You okay. know, fa- not well, favorite. No, favorite. okay. Then favorite, I go for Incredibles. Incredibles. Okay. Okay, and then best one you best would say I'll one? say Inside Out All as right. an individual film as a trilogy. Toy Story is the best. Got trilogy. you, got you. Um, man, it's a tough one for me. Uh, it's anywhere between for me favorite. I would I might say um, Toy Story two. I might say Toy Story three. Mm. Probably Toy Story three is my favorite one, followed closely by two and A Bug's Life. Um, I love those movies. Um, I think they're absolutely fascinating. I think what Pixar does is absolutely fascinating, and I think they deliver a lot of great original content, great original movies, and I wish we could see more of that. No. Um, I, I don't know any kind of... There, there. I feel like now, as far as what we get in animation, we get a lot of good different types of animated competition, and I think that's important. Yeah. As far as it's not just Pixar all the time. I think Disney animation is making some good stuff yeah i think we're getting some good animated musicals now so i'm excited for the future of uh, animation yeah unfortunately you know dreamworks has kind of fallen off uh in yeah. terms of having they had a great run of just non-stop you know great films sure. uh you know whether that be prince prince of egypt shrek uh you know how to train a dragon shout out to prince of egypt man that movie yeah. goes hard i yeah. love that movie uh, but now it's like they're just kind of kind of putting them they had a ceo change and they're changing studios for a little bit so it's a little different now but i hope nothing but the best for it this is always good competition and that's always my argument for somebody who says oh the marvel movies are going to be affected by the dc stuff it's like no no if you have a reliable brand if you have a reliable concept uh you're always going to have a great you know you're always going to have great box office receipts no matter how bad the dreamworks movies are going to get people aren't going to stop seeing pixar movies because it says pixar um, and people are able to, audiences, general audiences are able to recognize that. There you go, guys. That's the lesson for today. We can all get along and make great movies together. Yep. Uh, with that being said, that is this episode of the Meaning of Podcast. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, leave your comments because we will be reading them on a constant basis. Uh, next week, we're going to do an all actually questions from you guys. So we're going to be making sure and taking your questions. We love reading your guys' thoughts, your questions, your concerns, your opinions. Whatever it is, we can all be civil, we can all be happy, and we can all disagree and agree in joyous and in harmony. I am Ace. This is RB3. And that was the Meeting of Podcast. Make sure you guys tune in next week, and make sure you guys like and subscribe and watch us.